sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Now, Russia did not help me get elected. You know who got me elected? You know who got me elected? I got me elected. Russia didn't help me at all. This was all about Russia, Russia, Russia. They don't talk about Russia anymore because it turned out to be a hoax. It was all a hoax. And then they say, gee, he fought back. Isn't that terrible? He fought back. Of course I fight back because it was a false accusation, a totally false accusation. And it's a disgrace. And it's a very, it's a very sad period for this country. And I think in the end, I will consider what's happening now to be one of my greatest achievements, exposing this corruption. And now, Stacey Washington. Hey there, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for being with us today. Guess what? Another jam-packed program. We're going to be chatting with you about everything having to do with uh, toxic masculinity. Yeah, get a little bit of that up in you. <laughs> also, we have um, Newt Gingrich's comments on Jim Comey, James Comey, uh, being actually quite frightened of A.G. Barr. And uh, we're going to chat with Paula Bulliard. She's a managing editor for PG Media. We're going to chat with her about Georgia and Disney and Netflix. And this, this, it's like a big deal the way this is brewing up. It's, it's, it, what we're seeing is basically fascism. It's where I don't like your opinions, so I'm not going to. I'm not going to put jobs in your state. It's like they're trying to be bullies. They think much more of themselves than, than uh, well, the rest of us do. And I also, I'm wondering, just how many abortions do women who work in Hollywood actually have? That they would be in a state for a month or six weeks or 90 days shooting, and they would need to have an abortion so badly in Georgia that they would not want to go work there because they can't get one? Are you kidding me? Okay, <laughs> we'll dig into that with Paula. Uh, the call lines are open, 866-963-2037. Thank you for making your home here at American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. We're so blessed to have you with us. Uh, so first off, I did tease this story yesterday, and we didn't get to it because we just had the best, the best of the best of the best callers, just tons of callers, and it was so fun. And I talked to you a little bit about this, and I want to connect this up to what we're seeing because these are, these are opportunities to be courageous and let God show up and show out in, in our everyday lives. So this couple live in a senior living community in the state of Virginia, and they're being represented now by First Liberty Institute and attorneys from Hunt and Andrews Kurth, LLP. They have filed a lawsuit against the Evergreens at Smith Run and its parent company, Community Realty Company, alleging religious discrimination in housing by the management of the senior living community. And this is in Fredericksburg, Virginia. So the lawsuit was filed in the Eastern District of Virginia on behalf of Ken Haig, who is a retired Lutheran pastor, and his wife, Liv. They're residents in the senior apartment facility. So first of all, how cool is it that maybe you're living there too, like you live at the Evergreens at Smith Run, and you just happen upon maybe at dinner one night, you're sitting at a table with Ken and Liv, and Ken lets fly that he's a retired Lutheran pastor, you would be like, oh, yeah, this dude probably like this is a Bible study that's on fire. Like, I want to be in that one. So then they're just having um, they're just having Bible study. They host a small Bible study in their apartment. 
Now, if you already live there, that means there's no parking issue. It's just a matter of you just walking over or taking the elevator up or whatever the situation is to the Hague's apartments that you can do this Bible study. So they've been threatened with eviction. And of course, the First Liberty attorneys have sent a letter to the apartment community back in August and now seeing no resolution, they filed a lawsuit to vindicate the rights that the Hague's have under the Fair Housing Act, which was designed to make sure that landlords can't force their tenants to move by discriminating against them on the basis of religion or other protected classes. Now, a ruling in this case could have far-reaching impacts across the country beyond Virginia because any court case can be looked at as persuasive, even if it doesn't bind the particular court, uh, you know, because it's in another state. First Liberty has a similar case that they're actually working through in uh, this moving through the courts in Florida where a senior citizen was told that she could not hold her women's Bible study in her condo complex common area. That case was filed with HUD as an administrative complaint, and the process is ongoing. The Hags continue to live in their apartment community, their retirement community, but, you know, this is something in which you know how it is. When something like this jumps off, everybody's talking about it. It's the subject of gossip and speculation, and it makes it look as if they're doing something wrong. Now, remember, if they were having people over for Game of Thrones watch parties once a week during the season, nobody would have had a problem with it. It's that they're sitting around talking about the goodness of God. That is what the problem is. And the enemy has to come in and try to disrupt that action because goodness knows there are people living in that apartment community who might say, um, I've never been to a Bible study. I'm not a Christian, but I'm lonely and I don't have anybody to visit me here. And they've offered to let me come and sit. They don't care that I'm not a Christian and they don't care that I don't, you know, they're, they're, they're going to loan me a Bible. They're going to let me have the book. Uh, I think I might go, you know, and so people that Satan is pretty sure he's got them going into the grave and they're going to be with him for eternity. They're just happenstance upon the Hague's Bible study and they might come to know the Lord. And so he's got to put a monkey wrench in that. I'm, I'm calling this out for what it really is here, people. Yeah, it's whoever turned them in, whatever nincompoop said they're not allowed in their own apartment to get together with a little bit of food and fun and relaxation and fellowship to pray for each other, to basically bind each other's wounds, because that is one of the chief problems that elderly people in this country face. It's it's of course, there are health issues and things like that. But the primary thing facing elderly Americans is loneliness, not being in the same city as family. And even for those that are having family visit on a regular basis. Now, I know if you're listening to this and you have family nearby and y'all are close knit, that sounds so, it sounds like I'm like, like, you know, basically lying on these people, but study after study after study, loneliness is highlighted. When elderly people are polled, they talk about how lonely they are. If you ever work in assisted living facilities, if you volunteer there, if you've ever taken, you know, done one of those big meals or, you know, Christmas dinners or anything, The people who live there talk about the loneliness. They make friends with the people who live there, but what they're longing for is that close familial relationship with people they've known for a long time. Now, you can make friends in the senior living apartment complex, facilities, whatever, but they're looking for that deep personal connection. And it just, to me, I don't know how horrible of a person you have to be to say that people meeting in someone else's apartment, not your apartment, down the hall on another floor, wherever that you have the right to tell them they can't get together and study the word of God, that this is, I mean, I, first of all, sorry, millennials, cause I had kind of thought this was your thing, but apparently old people are up, up in this business as well. 
absolutely unacceptable. Um, thank God for First Liberty, the lawyers there, that they're going to actually take action on this and make something happen. Um, and so that that is, I think it's going to have a, a happy ending because um, religious freedom is protected under the Constitution and in, in, in housing. So let's get to Meryl Streep. Now, Meryl Streep's straight out of Hollywood. She's a hardcore feminist, and she has never hidden her uh, desire to have, you know, women advance. Even sometimes it would appear at the expense of men. And she has, if I'm not mistaken, she has two or three daughters. It's either three daughters or two. They're they're striking, tall, um, and I don't think they're in acting. Like, they're they're brilliant. So... Here she is in this clip talking about how this term toxic masculinity has been elevated to a sense of like everyone, everyone treats this term as if it has a lot of validity and she does not appreciate it. And I was really surprised to stumble on this this morning. Uh, It's number six. Half of the women in America who are in the half of the people in law school in America are women half more than half in medical school. We're making incursions in business. We're coming up from the bottom. It's just that upper echelon. We haven't broken through. And women's issues are men's problems. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, Sarah, if you want to say something about that. So she closes out by saying women's issues are men's problems. And I don't agree with that. But it is interesting to hear someone from Hollywood quote the very same statistics that I've quoted here on the show, which completely debunk this myth that men are holding women down or that men are their their masculinity is toxic. In fact, I think what we've seen a rise in is toxic femininity, not feminine, feminine, the feminine wiles as in the feminine attributes that make women women, but in a kind of ultra feminism that means you have to be angry and you have to fight men and you have to take them over and you have to force them and you, uh, that type of thing and I, I i find that women who believe that i mean it it shows on their faces like it shows in their demeanor it is a part of their everyday being it is a part of how they operate and move in the world and it makes a difference to the men in their lives because the men feel constantly on eggshells as if they don't have uh, anywhere that they can um kind of be safe they, they don't have anywhere that they can kind of just live and be free there they have to constantly be on edge to make sure and validate anything that has to do with pro-woman pro-feminist pro-feminism anything that has to do with pushing men down calling them you know toxic which again the words that we use when we're describing each other and talking about how we interact with each other they have meaning and they can set the tone for how those interactions occur so I'm 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 always interested in the conversation surrounding it, but I think when when you see someone like Meryl Streep, who has a lot of clout, a lot of power in Hollywood, and really has been a feminist, um, an outspoken feminist in the past, in the more traditional sense in the beginning, and lately, uh, she's not been as vocally against men as some of the others, but she can be, as she said at the end, women's issues are men's problems. I, why Why can't it be that we all have issues. We have human issues and some of them are more central to women and some are more central to men, but in cooperation, we can make changes and improve things for the betterment of all. Instead of saying we can only improve things for women. She did describe there how some of the upper echelons of business remain, you know, almost exclusively male, but in so many other areas, women have made strides 
And it really has to do with in those upper echelons, it has to do with the commitment of the women who would be in those spaces. In other words, women who've decided that they're not going to, they're, they're going to forego having a family. And like, for instance, one, one such woman who has had extreme success in her career field, Condoleezza Rice, but she's single. And so sometimes when you see someone have that kind of extreme success, whether it's early on or later, you can kind of look at some of the choices that they've made. If they're a woman, they make those choices. It's, it's basically saying, I want this career aspiration as opposed to I want a family where I'm going to be the primary caregiver. There's nothing wrong with that. I think it's actually one of the things that makes America so special that women can have those kinds of decisions. We can say, I want to be, I want to be a career oriented woman and I don't want to have a family and that's fine. And you can make it in America. You're not the property of a man as you would be if you lived in an Islamic nation. But you can also say, I want to be a stay at home mom. I want to meet and marry and be a stay at home mother and have that be my primary, uh, you know, that's my primary work. And you can do that too. For Meryl Streep to make this statement, it kind of means that it's validation for the rest of us who've said that this movement has gone too far, that feminism has stepped outside of simply wanting to improve scenarios for women to actually actively subverting and working against men as a group, not individual men who might be bad actors, but men as a group. It's unbiblical and it also it puts a spotlight on some of the other things that we've seen so far with, with, uh, you know, children with, with, uh, b- boys in America, with the struggle for boys to kind of acclimate to the new realities of K through 12 public education and the struggles of inner city boys who they don't have father figures. And there's toxic femininity in those environments where the woman is not only, uh, you know, rough and calloused, but is also operating as the mom and the dad and many of these young men are turning to gangs and, and other situations where they claim that they're finding family, but in reality, they're finding destruction. And I connect all of it together because in, in a situation where men and women are imbalanced and not in their role that God has ordained for us, when women decide they want to have children outside of marriage, as so many women in Hollywood have done, artificial insemination, whatever, getting into the marriage space um, by hook or by crook. In other words, they're making a family that's a pseudo family without a father in it. And then wondering why these things are blowing up in our faces. Well, there you go. So it's nice to hear Meryl Streep tell the truth out of Hollywood for no less. All right. I'm Stacey Washington. We'll be right back. Here's American Family Association president, Tim Wildman. Lynn Ingram and Jim Duncan, two Texans, support and believe in our ministry here at AFA and AFR. We know more about the laundry business than anything else. We know a little bit about a lot of things, but we know a lot about the laundry and dry cleaning business. They created a laundry detergent to sell to folks to support AFA. We just want to be able to provide a product that can be used by AFA to support the ministry. When you wash your family's clothes with Redeem Clean Laundry Detergent, you can take great satisfaction in knowing that you're supporting the vital work of the American Family Association. It's a unique way to increase your giving to AFA. For clean laundry and support of a cleaner society, it's Redeem Clean. Learn more about the Redeem Clean products when you visit redeemclean.afastore.net. 
Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. I know a 14-year-old boy whose mom is a single parent. Unfortunately, this young man has hit a lazy stretch in the road. Lately, he seems to be satisfied with doing the bare minimum. Recently, his grades dropped and his mom put her foot down. She took away a lot of his privileges and placed him under some pretty stringent accountability, ultimately for his own good. Good for her. Some of us are lazy adults because in our formative years, we were allowed to do what we felt like doing. Little did we realize that not living responsibly had damaging results in our lives. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 10 has some strong words to say about laziness. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Observe her ways and be wise, which, having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. In these verses are three steps to overcoming laziness. One is identify your responsibility like the ant does. Number two, map out how you are going to meet your obligations. This is what I'm responsible for. Now let me figure out how I need to go about this. Then number three, remember that to a large degree, the outcome of your life is determined by your response. It's not a matter of what you want. It's a matter of what you're willing to do. Well, here's what I want you to remember today. There is a cure for laziness, and it's really not all that complicated or heavy. The cure is doing what you don't want to do. Join Crawford Loritz tomorrow for another Legacy Moment. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for being here. Check us out at AFR.net, UrbanFamilyTalk.com, and StacyOnTheRight.com. Hit the subscribe button. It's my pleasure to welcome one of my good friends, Paula Bolliard. She's the managing editor of PGA Media. Hey, Paula. Thanks for joining in today. Hi, Stacy. How are you today? You know, I'm pretty good, but I just feel like, I feel like there's some kind of like weird alternate universe that we're living in where Hollywood production companies and, you know, Netflix and uh, Disney and places like that think they can dictate policy to American voters. It's weird. Isn't that funny? And even more so, they're doing it because they want tax benefits uh, for their rich Hollywood producers and actors. So they're going to states like Georgia and saying, uh, we're not going to produce movies here unless you get us, let us have abortions all day, every day, and um, or else we'll leave and go get a tax credit somewhere else. Yeah, but will they? <laughs> Are there not many tax you credits know, laying around? <laughs> yeah, that, that's actually a very good question because, you know, I don't know if you heard that Netflix uh, said that they, <clears throat> they decided they weren't going to pull out of Georgia. <laughs> but because they want the tax credits, but they're going to make a donation of some undetermined amount, unannounced amount to the ACLU to help with the effort to get as many abortions as possible in Georgia. They're, you know, they're hypocrites. Well, because they, they have believe. The signal. Yeah, well, yeah, but Paula, they believe, because I know you saw this story. It was in like four, I got it four or five different times 
over the past almost seven days. And that is the resurrection of this 18-year-old piece of malarkey that claims to prove that the reason we've had a massive reduction in crime is not due to gun ownership or, you know, better socioeconomics. It's due to blacks having abortions. Black women aborting babies actually lowers the crime rate. This is what Anne Hathaway said, uh, whatever her name is, Rajatowski, with all Hollywood women, they happen to be white, saying these things about black women. I'm surprised they haven't gotten smacked in their mouths. I'm, it's, it's unbelievable. Right. It's, it's sick. It's demented the way that they, you know, say it's better to kill these babies than to allow them to have a life of crime someday, assuming that, you know, every child born into poverty or every child born into unfortunate circumstances or with uncaring parents will turn into a criminal, especially if they're black, they seem to imply. And, and one of the people they like to make fun of the most, Dr. Ben Carson, famed <laughs> neurosurgeon, now the head of HUD, presidential candidate, an all-around super success story, grew up in poverty, born to a mom who was a single mom and couldn't read herself. And he's not the only like, it's not like he's an anomaly. There are literally thousands of blacks who don't, they're not in the public eye and we don't ever get to hear their story who grow up in poverty stricken environments with a single mom and they go on to be successful Americans, not black Americans, Americans. They just happen to be permanently tanned, but they're not criminals. So it, this idea that we can decide we just abort as many black babies as we can and we're definitely not going to have as much crime. It's not even borne out by what we know statistically, but they're just lying. Right. No, they're, they're, it's not a science-based thing, but, you know, and I'm sure you know that the, the left is very paternalistic. They know what's best for everyone. And, you know, as you, as you noted, many of them are uh, rich white people and they right. know what's best for black people and what's best for black people is to kill their babies. And it just makes me wonder, do you think Anne Hathaway has any black girlfriends? Like, you know, because I've met you before. You and I, I think, have even had like we've had happy hour. We've been to conferences together like we've met each other. And mm-hmm. I, I, I can't imagine you telling me, you know, what would be really great for black people. Like, I can't imagine you saying that. And we've met. We, we actually have met each other multiple times. Now, Anne Hathaway, not only do I not think she has any real black friends, and I don't mean women she's been in a movie with. I mean, like women that if she... If they text, they can be at your house in a few minutes. You know, a real friend. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just occurs to me that if Anne Hathaway, Anne Hathaway and I were ever in a place and we were sitting and she started opining on something like this. And if I stood up and angrily confronted her and said, how dare you? Oh, how dare you put your mouth on black women like that? How dare you feign to know what we should do with our unborn babies. How dare you put yourself in the place of God almighty and try to dictate who gets to live or die. I think she would probably be so shocked to be spoken to like that. She would, you know, of course the straight neck, and then she would probably start apologizing or storm off in a huff one or the other. Well, first I would pay money to see that. <laughs> I would I'd pay money to be able to do it. TV in my book. <laughs> so I hope you get the opportunity to do that someday. But you know, it, it seems like there should be someone in her life, if she had actual black friends, would um, perform an intervention. Or, or maybe it's an exorcism. Maybe that's what she means. Mm, I know. Someone who's advocating for abortion that hard. You're right, Paula. It's, this isn't. And, and the saddest part about it is it would be fun to get to say that to her because it would make me feel so much better. But the problem is the response from her would be, 
oh, well, you're a right winger or, oh, you're not really black. I don't know how many times I've been told that you're not really black because you don't believe that black women should abort their babies. You don't support the black community. And she would probably then call up somebody like, you know, some some black person that she knows in a tertiary manner and get their validation, thereby negating everything that I'd said. I but the the thing about her and Emily Rajatowski and the others who have have joined this recent bandwagon is that I, I just wonder if they read their own words, if they if they read that Mitt Romney said black women should abort more of their babies because it lowers crime they would be up in arms. Like, do you, I mean, I, I believe that if, if a re- white mm-hmm. Republican man said this, these women would lose their minds. Yeah, of course they would. You know, the thing is, for them, abortion is a sacrament. They believe in it every bit as much as you and I believe in Jesus Christ. You know, it, it can't, they can't be questioned on it. They can't, you can't reason with them about it because it's an article of faith for them. And that that's the hard barrier to get over. You know, it's, it's hard to convince them when they're true believers like that. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. So to circle back around to this whole idea that these, these companies are going to get any kind of action out of boycotting states like Georgia, um, the legislature in Georgia, the, people say Georgia is like a purple state. It's no longer truly red, but it's definitely like moving in the, the Democrats direction. But do they have enough control yet with which just, you know, 500 million to the ACLU could actually reverse the actions that are being taken by the heavily controlled the Republican controlled legislature? Well, you know, one thing you see in Georgia, and it's very similar to what we have in Ohio, Ohio, for all the battleground state talk is a very red state. The, the legislature, every state office has been red um, for several ele- election cycles now. But you have the cities, and, you know, you have the same thing in Georgia with cities like Atlanta that are much more liberal. And um, But, you know, it, it's all going to be up to the state legislature and whether they have the backbone to stand up to these people. You know, the thing with these tax credits, the movie tax credits, is they don't even really work. Um, you know, studies have shown that they don't really create jobs. You know, there may be some temporary jobs, but there's not a net job gain from them. Um, but everybody thinks, you know, it's like the lottery. They think it's, they, they can win something and, and they'll get lucky and make crap ton of money out of it. But it, it doesn't usually pan out. So hopefully... Um, you know, some smart people in the legislature will see that and, and not bow to the pressure from these holly weirdos. Yeah, they are weird. And um, I don't know, Paula, do, how long do you think the production staff of females, Hollywood females, how long do you think they can go without having access to an abortion when they're working on a film crew? Because that, that was my immediate yeah, question. Yeah, and that, that's, I wrote something at PJ Media about that today. Like, they can't go a month without an abortion, and... Even if they can't, they can certainly fly to L.A. and get get a quickie abortion if they have an emergency. But what what is going on there that they need an abortion every month or every couple months? It's very well, strange that, okay. that that's so important to them. Well, and then can we also just discuss, because the Me Too movement came out of Harvey Weinstein and Hollywood. 
Is it because they need access to abortions because so many women are being sexually assaulted in Hollywood and they're bringing their sexual assaults to Georgia and they want to make sure they can get their abortions? It, it sure makes you wonder, doesn't it? Uh, you know, most normal people, when they're evaluating whether they should take a job, they look at salary and health care benefits and, you know, whether they can have vacation time. But the Hollywood people and the actresses, they're looking at whether they can get a quick abortion with, without a lot of trouble. That's their big uh, <laughs> criteria for a job. Paula, where, where are we shooting for the new movie? And you're like, Georgia. And I'm like, wait a minute. We can't get abortions there. <laughs> it just makes you wonder. I've how got to get my one. Mo- I've got to get my one baby killing in a month. I'm right. Well, I mean, be able to do it in Georgia, so let's go somewhere else. Yeah, let's invariably, at least a few of us on the film crew will need abortions during the filming. You know, how many? How long is the filming? Ninety days. Oh yeah, we're definitely going to need some abortions. Uh, we're out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so what? It makes you wonder what really goes the on there. You can get a- not to mention the fact you can get abortions over the phone now or by by video. Oh, you know, telemed. You, you, right, right. Right, right. So, what you know, can they at least do that? But no, they've got to come and impose their morality on the people of Georgia who are much more conservative and have indicated that they don't want mass killings of babies. Well, and also because one of the things that I notice people will, will tout on online social media is how black uh, Atlanta is. It's the largest concentration of black wealth in the country. Um, so many black professionals living there and working there and how philanthropic the the black community that is affluent in Georgia is. And so you would think that with all of that going on, they would be careful not to alienate because that's where their workforce is coming from. 92,000 Georgians working in the film industry. It's not 92,000 only white people. It's It's people of all different backgrounds who fill their needs. So how is it that they could like allow Anne Hathaway and others and Disney and, and these places to, to make these statements when it is utterly, it's not just reprehensible, it's insulting to blacks. If you're, if you're a black woman, it's as if they're saying, well, we don't want you to have any more kids, Stacey, because nine times out of 10, your kids are going to be criminals. What? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, and it, it always sort of baffles me why there hasn't been more of, more outrage in the black community over stuff like this. And, you know, God bless Clarence Thomas for calling it out this week and calling out the eugenics history of Planned Parenthood and, and you know, the, the sickness that's in these free abortion laws that target black communities. But I, I, it just always surprises me as a, you know, white girl here in Ohio, why there's not, why black community isn't marching in the streets over this. You know, it's a bigger issue than the minimum wage, bigger issue than, you know, all this white privilege stuff they're talking about. We're talking about literally killing black babies and targeting them for abortion. And it all comes in the same week. Like, I, I love the way, you know, it has to be providential that the stories are now grouped together so that they get maximum traction. It's almost like they have a little bit of... um that kind of churn that comes with it being in the same subject matter. You've got Clarence Thomas writing in a concurring opinion at the Supreme court that Planned Parenthood actually through its practice of having their, their clinics in minority neighborhoods has succeeded in aborting more minorities than, you know, whites, the majority of the population. Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. was Margaret Sanger's intent with birth control, not so much abortion 
but that the eugenics movement will use any tool by which to get rid of society's weeds, which primarily is those who are specially abled and black people. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. a weird thing to have him. And I, I don't mean it's weird. I, I agree with what he wrote, but it's, it's weird to have it coming up that he wrote that opinion and it comes out. You have this story, you have uh, Emily Radzikowski, uh, Radzikowski, whatever her, you have that, that model make her statement two weeks ago. You have Anne Hathaway make her statement like last week, the concurring opinion from Clarence Thomas comes out. Uh, about how we're going to have to make a decision about whether Roe v. Wade and its application is actually being used as a tool to eliminate black people, which is racism, which cannot be condoned by the Supreme Court. Um, And this whole conversation, you know, Missouri's bill, heartbeat bill, you have Louisiana signing legislation, Georgia signing legislation, and then New York's kind of started the the ball rolling with the conversation Mm -hmm. with Northam and and infanticide. It's just all the crescendo cannot be you can't ignore this. Mm-hmm. Right. It, I mean, it's become dinner table conversations for a lot of people. And, you know, the good thing about this, if there can be any good thing, which there's not a lot of good in this, mm-hmm. but the left is really exposing them, themselves. They're really, you know, keep talking. We won't keep keep saying crazy stuff like this. One, it'll get Trump reelected easily. And two, it will change public opinion on abortion when people it for what it is and 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 hear people talking like Anne Hathaway is talking <laughs> that you know more more of that keep it up well the other unintended consequence of Anne Hathaway's comments is because I I loved her in the devil wears Prada and mm-hmm. I, I found her to be a pretty talented actress in other areas when she does comedy it's really weird how funny she is because by the look of her she shouldn't be able to do comedy but she can and so this comment by her has really turned me off of her as an actress. And so I don't care what she's acting in in the future, knowing that she thinks that my children, just because I'm black, they are criminals, makes it impossible for me to go see movies or projects that she is in. I mean, mm-hmm. she's, she's totally, it's not just the insult that she's delivered to me as a person who's permanently tanned, but it's the fact that she was so bold as to say it and she hasn't taken it back. I just, right. I can't get right. down with she that. See, she doesn't see a problem with it, but, you know, moviegoers like you, when, when you see someone that ugly in real life. Yeah, we're going to we're gonna there, take there, action. Why do I want to spend our money for that? Exactly. Paula Bolliard, Managing Editor for PJ Media. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you, Stacey. Have a good one. All right. Talk to you again soon. We will be back with more after these messages. Stay right This is Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book Uncommon Marriage. When Tony and I married, we knew we didn't want to start a family right away. But a couple of years later, God spoke clearly to us. During a Sunday church service, we learned about the shortage of willing foster parents in Allegheny County, Pennsylvania. Lauren and I decided to meet with the guest speakers after the service. We left feeling that we could give some of that love and attention the children weren't getting. We prayed about it, and God opened the door. It wasn't much later that we were approved to be foster parents. If God is telling you and your spouse to take a leap of faith, pray about it and watch Him lead you. 
Tony and Lauren Dungy, authors of Uncommon Marriage, learning about lasting love and overcoming life's obstacles together. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. Family is an institution set forth by God, one man and one woman for life, with the outflow being children produced by that union. It's obvious to all that there is an attack on the family in our country, and especially on fathers. Whether it's the cycle of sin that persists in our families or the pressure from our government to exclude men from being intimately involved, the strategic battle is on for the souls of men. Join us in the battle to strengthen fatherhood UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Just as David's mighty man, Benaiah, chased down a lion into a pit on a snowy day, Lion Chasers champions uncommon men and women of faith who are unafraid to stand up and speak truth to power in these dark and evil days. Never before has there been such a need for people of faith to draw a line in the sand with a sword of truth. Lion Chasers, the intersection of faith and public policy with Lonnie Poindexter. Weekday mornings at 10 cents on Urban Family Talk. This is Poll Paris with Fox News Director of Polling, Dana Blanton. Here are five takeaways on the Russia investigation from our Fox News poll. Number one, since Special Counsel Robert Mueller completed his investigation, which did not find evidence of a criminal conspiracy between Trump associates and Russia, approval of how Mueller handled the probe has gone up 15 points among Republicans and dropped 27 points among Democrats. Overall, 46% of voters approve. Two, more voters trust Robert Mueller than trust President Trump or Attorney General William Barr. Mueller tops both by nearly 20 points. Three, the attorney general is looking into whether the initial investigation of the Trump campaign was legally predicated. A majority of voters thinks there is a chance the FBI broke the law. Four, voters are wary of Attorney General Barr's motive. By a 12-point margin, more think he is covering up for the president than being transparent. Last one, by a 50 to 42 percent margin, voters oppose impeachment of President Trump. I'm Dana Blanton, and that's your poll Paris. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Ken Starr issued an independent counsel report on Bill Clinton. He said, he used the word guilty 11 times. Uh, six of them were obstruction of justice. He just wasn't complicated. He didn't say we have to indict. He, didn't, he just said, you asked me to report? Here's my report. He's guilty. He did these things. Now, if Mueller felt that if Mueller used the word guilty once, we've been in a different world. But Mueller wrote this convoluted, complex, you know, two, two entire chapters uh, and doesn't conclude anything that is dispositive. I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but as a historian, I look at that stuff and it certainly didn't come down and say President Trump is guilty of anything uh, where Starr said unequivocally, that Clinton was guilty on 11 counts. And that's a major difference of where we are today. Both Comey and Mueller are trying to have it both ways. They'd like to be statesmen. They'd like for everybody to respect them. Uh, but in Mueller's case, he had two full years. He had a huge team. They wrote a report. Now, if they can't get their report right, I don't know why they're coming back later to tell us what it is they wish they might have said. Uh, and I think Mueller's better off, frankly, just. It's over, go home, relax. In Comey's case, I think he's scared to death of what Attorney General Barr is doing uh, and the fact that a lot of stuff's going to be uh, come public that's going to make Comey's uh, directorship look really, really bad. 
Okay, so welcome back to the show. Thank you for being here with us today at Stacy on the Right on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you for checking those sites out. Uh, that's, of course, Newt Gingrich talking about how Comey is scared to death of Barr and the investigation because it might find out that the FBI acted illegally and it would take away his popularity. As you heard, uh, well, polling shows that Comey is still very popular. Mueller is more popular than Barr and the president. And this is something that they want to maintain. They want to maintain their popularity. The other thing that I think a lot of us haven't really considered because we're just honestly, sometimes I feel like I'm sitting out in a cornfield somewhere with a, you know, 1982 or 1991 computer, you know, the big fat back computer that had the black screen and the green letters. And I feel like I'm out in the hinterlands, you know, typing wildly and using whatever the original just textual version of the internet was. And that the liberals are all on the East Coast and the West Coast and they have all the latest technology and they still don't know anything. Like, I feel like we're out in the Stone Ages and we at least are informed and they've got everything at their disposal and they, they still don't know anything. And the reason I say that is because it's pretty obvious. And I, I discussed this just a tad yesterday on the show. It's pretty obvious to me that this guy, Mueller, to be more specific, I shouldn't call him this guy. Mueller, he is terrified of submitting to questioning by the Republican members of Congress. He, he'll do anything to avoid it. He's shutting that office down. There's going to be nothing but crickets and dust bunnies up in that joint. There, it'll be so cleared out, people won't even realize it was ever a space that was used by the special prosecuting team. A lot of the attorneys had already started leaving months ago because the investigation was complete and all of them weren't needed to finish up the report or the parts of the report that they were submitting, those parts were finished. But for Mueller to come out and basically say, you know what, Democrats, I'll give you reason to impeach. I couldn't give you an indictment. I couldn't give you a recommendation, but I'll give you reason to impeach. Just don't make me sit on television in public before the American people and be questioned by these Republicans. Cause you know, the Democrats are going to softball it. Cause you know, they've been saying mean things about him. Have you noticed the tide change in what they've been saying about Mueller? Not too long ago, they were saying that Mueller was, um, oh, what did they say? They said he was uh, duplicitous. He didn't do a good job. He was a disappointment. That was after the Mueller report came out. Now, They're back to saying he's above reproach. He is a man of, you know, integrity, blah, blah, blah. They're using their their hushed tones to exalt him because he gave them what they needed. But Democrats are never satisfied. And when they promise you something, they don't mean it. So they have promised him that he won't have to come testify before Congress. But if they can't get the wherewithal together, if the poll numbers don't look right, they still might call him. You know, they're those people that come to you and say, I just want to know. I'm not going to use the information. Just give it to me in confidence. Just tell me the truth. I just want to know. And so you're like, well, I can't. It's confidential. I can't really tell you. Just tell me. Just tell me and I'll keep it between us. It's just for my own personal knowledge base. I just, just settle my heart. Just help me to settle this down. And then you say, okay, fine. Here it is. Here's, here's what I know. But you can't use it because there's no way I can verify this in public because I... I'm not even supposed to know. It's, it's classified. It's this, it's that. It's, it's sealed. It's whatever. And then a week later, they're like, oh, I'm going to need you to verify this information you gave me. You're like, I, this was told to you in confidence. It's off the record. 
ah, a friend of mine's writing an article about it and I need, I need to use you as a source. Do you mind if I give him your name and phone number? No, you can't, you can't, you, you promised. That's Democrats. And you know the best example of how a Democrat will do you? Look at any inner city in America and look at what they promised. They said, black folks, vote us in. You live in inner cities and white people are moving out to the burbs. And so you vote us in and we will make these inner city environments better than the suburbs. We will increase your taxes for more services. We will be in control of the schools and the schools will be better than those in the suburbs. Just give us control and we will make things right for you. We'll get the government to, to pay for the improvements that are needed in the city. We'll get them to pay for the schools. We'll get them to pay for everything. Just vote us in. And 109 years later, some states, some cities, it's 66 years, it's 80 years, it's 50 years. It doesn't matter. Since the Democrats have been in control, you see nothing but fiscal irresponsibility, failing schools, rampant crime, and blacks living in abject poverty, generational poverty. So, you know, instead of Anne Hathaway fixing her lips to talk about that or fixing her little hand, her well-manicured hand to her checkbook to write some checks to some inner city schools to get those air conditioning units installed or to get more teachers there than they have security staff or maybe to get some community centers that actually train parents on how to interact with teachers at schools instead of just babysitting and corralling fatherless kids, getting environments where training can happen in inner cities where people can learn how to get out of the situation they're currently in. Cause she could really make a difference with the kind of wealth that she has y'all, you know, I, I, and I know you might be noticing, I point this out a lot. When I come across a rich person, I'm, I don't want to take their money from them. I don't need to have it distributed again away from them and into the pockets of a poor person by way of the federal government. I don't believe that armed theft is correct. I think someone like Anne Hathaway who thinks she knows what's best for black women should put her money where her big mouth is. If she really thinks she knows what's best for black children, she should write some checks. She should go into these inner city neighborhoods and ask them, what do you need? What would actually make this neighborhood better for you? And then do that. Instead of acting like she knows something because she's been in Hollywood for 10 years, you know, acting on play movie sets. It's all well and good for me to have seen her in The Devil Wears Prada, but she was acting in that movie. She was in Chicago acting. She was in Paris acting. Those weren't real scenarios. And so it, it was entertaining to be sure but after watching her act in that and a number of other films in which, you know, I was entertained. Now I come to find out that she's a eugenicist and a racist. And the antidote to that is Jesus Christ. And I certainly hope and pray that she would come to know him. Also, what she could do to help herself out is actually go into some of these environments. Oh, she'd get armed up to be sure. Her little gun control loving self would get her some armed security if she was to go into an inner city neighborhood. But that's all good. You know, a lot of stars roll with a lot of heavy security. Roll with it. I don't care how you get there. But Anne Hathaway, take yourself into the inner city and talk to some black women about why they're having so many abortions. Ask them, do you feel targeted by Planned Parenthood? They, they'll probably say no. Ask them why they feel hopeless. Do you feel hopeless? Is that why you would prefer to have an abortion as opposed to you know, having another baby, uh, you know, what is driving this? How about she just go do a little research on her own? It's not like she can't like that, have a chartered plane loaded up with security and all of her suitcases and luggage for her many outfit changes 
take her to any, any, any inner city, any. She doesn't even have to fly a charter plane. She could go to L.A. That's an inner city environment controlled by Democrats, by the way. Um, it's heavily Hispanic now, but Hispanics have more abortions than white women. So, you know, she could start working her way down. It's not about me hating her because she's got a lot of money. I don't hate her. And I think it's wonderful that she has a lot of money. I think that's great. But I do think if you're going to have all that money and you're going to put your mouth out there in the public space and start talking about black women, like, you know what black women are going through. I, I can tell you how many times black women, I, you know, individually have said, well, I'm not sure you really can talk about that because, yes, you're black, but you don't live in the inner city. Now, we did. We did live in the city of St. Louis for years. So, I, I, you know, I do have that in our background but we weren't impoverished while we were living there. And for some people, you can't even talk about the black experience or talk about improving situations for blacks unless you're actually living in the city. You see, they keep adding on all these different things. So I, as a black woman, can't talk about what would help improve the lives of black people in America because I don't live in the inner city currently. But Anne Hathaway, who's never, ever been to an inner city environment and sat down with a group of black people and said, tell me what it is. Tell me what. What do you know? What do you know good? What do you know bad? Tell me how this thing, how life works for you right here. Show me how it works for me, for you. Let me see how you live on a day-to-day basis. Let me see how you interact with these government agencies. Let me see how the police are operating in your, in your neighborhood. Let me see the crime. Show me where the criminals, show me, show me, show me. She's never done that. I at least have been in the inner city before and I am well acquainted with what is wrong there. And I would never say, you know, the answer to what we're seeing here is that we need more abortions. Black women just shouldn't be having so many babies. The saddest part about what she said is not just Anne Hathaway, white chick, who believes that. There are plenty of affluent black women who believe that, too. And they've said it to my face. Better to abort them than to bring them into a world of poverty and degradation. And you know, you know, it got hot with me after I had somebody say that to my face, but it never changes their mind. You can get hot. You can say whatever you want, but it doesn't change the way they feel because they're depraved and indifferent and they're bloodthirsty and Hathaway and all the rest of them. The good news is now they're so bold. They'll show us who they are. They'll tell us who they are. And in doing so, I get to now not watch any more Anne Hathaway movies. Thank God she let herself out there. So I know. But. Nobody has still seen her be held accountable for what she said and actually put her money where her mouth is, which is all I'd like to see her do. Not all of her money, just some of it, just whatever she feels is appropriate with her rich self. Not because I hate any of that, but because it's appropriate for her to use the largesse that she has earned to validate these opinions that she holds as rancid as they are or to shut up about it. All right, let's go to the phones. Hey, Teresa in Texas. Thanks for calling the show. Hi. Hi. I was just calling because I'm just curious. You were saying that the black women in the inner city, they they don't have, are you saying they don't have ways to, for, to keep from getting pregnant? Is that what you're trying to say? When you no. said that she should go. Okay, go ahead. No, no, I'm not saying that. The way to keep from getting pregnant is to not have sex. I, I'm aware yeah, of that, well, and I think that they should too, know that. But, yeah. 
Okay, well, the way you put it made it sound like that the black women are having these abortions because they have no means of, of protecting themselves from getting pregnant. That's the way it sounded to me. So I was just curious if if the women, and then I know that even in Texas, we've got, we call them the slums here, and y'all call them the inner cities, I guess, in the state you're from. But it's still the same thing. Uh, they're poor people, but you got poor white people. You got poor white girls in those slums in those inner cities, and you got poor Mexican girls. You know, it's not just the blacks. And I am sorry that Anne Hathaway said what she said, because that's wrong. But I was just kind of wondering, because you're, you're, uh, you're heating up the radio, sweetie, with your temper. <laughs> yeah, I am. So, but the reason why I'm making the point it, about blacks. To, well, but listen, to. listen to what I'm saying, because you're, okay. you're making the point that I'm saying, you know, there, there's, there's a couple things here. First of all, obviously, black women and every other kind of women, everybody knows how you can avoid getting pregnant with an unwanted pregnancy. But the majority of the abortions that are had in this country are due to contraception. Health of the mother is less than 1% and rape is right around 1%, rape or incest. So 98%, 97% of the abortions are simply, I didn't use any contraception and so I'm going to have an abortion. That's the first thing. The second thing is, out of all of the different uh, ethnic groups in this country, the black community, black women have the highest rate of abortion. Some years, 40% of all pregnancies for black women are abortions. In New York, more babies are aborted than are born alive to black women. So the reason I'm highlighting what Anne Hathaway said and connecting it to eugenics and and all of that is because Clarence Thomas just connected it a couple of days ago. I've been connecting it for years. This is a targeted effort towards poor black women to get them to abort their babies, and it's been working for 40-plus years. I'm heating up the the radio waves, not for my own sake, but for the sake of the babies. We've aborted 16 million black babies since the passage of Roe v. Wade. 40% of the black population is gone. And women are suffering because they're post-abortive and they've never received the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And if I can't heat their airwaves up over that, then I don't need to be here. I'm going to continue to light it up on behalf of those unborn because that's what I'm called here to do. We'll be back with more, and if you're leaving us now, God bless you from the heartland.